Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I was flipping through the channels the other day, but there was nothing good on. I had nothing to play. So I went to my computer and realized that there was so much content before my eyes. But there's nothing but Netflix in my heart and on my screen. Something that I still haven't seen But maybe one day we can try to watch the rest So Robert and Chappelle, give it your best Yes, that's right. We are back here for nothing but Netflix. And today we've got a big episode. We're going to be talking about Formula One, uh, Drive to Survive, why you should be uh, checking out the hit Netflix series now in season four. And I am back here with a man who is the secret formula to many successful podcasts, a man who drives not one, but two cars. Chappelle, Rob, my truck melted last year. I don't drive two cars. What's wrong with you? Like I at once at one time. Yes, I had two vehicles, but I swear it went up in flames. Literally, this is not okay. I can't believe you introduced me like that, but I'm still happy to be here despite your disrespect. How are you, Rob? You need the pit crew. Uh, Rob, it melted. <laughs> what are they gonna do? <laughs> like, just, like, I came home and it was on fire. I don't know what to tell you. Um, there's not a pit crew in the world that can save this, but I am very happy because we're going yes. international um, again, Rob. Yes. We're going international. A man who I heard is also sponsored by Red Bull. Look, if only. Okay. <laughs> I've been t- I've been in conversations with Melissa Denny. I'm like, please just put in a good word for me because I need more Red Bull. Um I'm drinking one now. And so uh yeah, if Red Bull is listening to this, call me because uh I would happily drive for you and hopefully your car would not burst into flames. <laughs> hopefully not. Okay. No. We uh, have a great guest here with us to talk about uh Netflix uh Formula 1 colon Drive to Survive. Uh we have been Talking about doing this for a couple of weeks because the new season four 
just came out. Uh, we are trying to do this in a spoiler-free way to let people know why they should be checking out uh, this show. She is a super fan of the series and is ready to talk about it all here with us. Uh, please welcome back our friend Amy Chan. Amy, how are you? Hi, thanks so much for having me. I am very excited to be here uh, podcasting with you from Australia where we have just crowned Charles Leclerc as the new winner of our Formula One Grand Prix for 2022. So very excited to be here. Even more thrilled to discover that Chappelle is actually like the yes. on of our season. <laughs> I did not realize he's got cars exploding, just like the drivers. It's all happening here yes, on the and track. It's nice to RHAB. be reunited. The three of us, uh, I believe it was the last podcast that I ever did in my old studio. We talked about Survivor, the Australian Outback on uh, the top 40 countdown. And so uh, this is nice to be reunited all- almost one year later. Yeah, we're back. Almost, mm-hmm. almost. I think that that was probably wow. like the last week of May. So uh, we're about a, uh, almost eleven months to, from when uh, we did that uh, episode. So nice to be uh, back together again and uh, talking about some Formula One here on uh, Netflix. Chappelle, uh, did you have any knowledge about Formula One coming into this? Uh, yeah, so I've seen part of the first season before, but then like I got caught up watching other stuff, and I never went back to it. But I, every every time another season would uh, be released, you know, my Twitter feed would just start like slowly tweets would start to creep in, like, "Oh, it's back, it's back, it's back." And of course, I am not a racing fan, but kind of like when I watched Cheer, you don't really have to be to to yeah. enjoy the show. So every time I'm like, man, I got to get back into that. And now we're four seasons in, 40 episodes, and I'm too far behind. But I was happy to be able to jump in to uh, season four, get caught up a little bit, and to start what seems like is going to be a really good season of TV. Yeah, that this is a show that uh, everybody's talking about, seemingly, that I first uh, heard about this show that... Sean Clements, who does the Hollywood Handbook podcast, uh, was telling me, uh, you know, it's a great reality show. You got to check out Formula One, Drive to Survive. I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm not really like a, a car racing guy. Uh, but he said, no, it doesn't matter. You got to watch the show. It's so great. Uh, I had been meaning to check it out. And so here we are. And Amy, I know you have been way into all of this. How, how did you fall in love with Formula One, Drive to Survive? Well, I actually discovered the show during the lockdown. So um, after I had done a whole lot of uh, Survivor rerun deep dives and was following along with that with you guys, I sort of was looking for something new to watch. And I came across this and two or three seasons had already dropped by this point. Um, And I was taken back in time because I don't know if you guys know, but I actually used to work at the Formula One. What did you do? Well, I was, I know you wouldn't think it to look at me now, but I was one of those champagne girls in the day before PC political correctness came in. I was up there in my leotard spraying champagne at the drivers. Oh. So actually, I was just, I used to work <laughs> in market research. And so <laughs> I wasn't really wow. up on the podium. You took us on a couple of laps around the track with that um, one. <laughs> no, no, those days are long gone. Uh, that never happened. That was in my imagination. No, I used to work in market research, so we used to get sent out to the events to do surveys with people. And I can remember the two big, well, there's lots of big sporting events in Melbourne, but two of the big ones are the Melbourne Cup, which is horse racing, 
and then the Formula One. And I really wanted to go to the Melbourne Cup because I thought the Melbourne Cup was going to be like My Fair Lady, you know, with the suits and the tails and the hats and the coats and the really posh people. Um, and I thought that the Formula One was going to be full of rev heads and bikies and really rough and tumble kind of people, and I didn't want to be at that one. And it turned out that when I went to work at both events, actually the people at Formula One are lovely, really, really nice, open, kind, interesting, normal people. People at the races are awful, all really, really <laughs> drunk and revolting. So, <laughs> so it was nothing like what I thought. Certainly, uh, you know, the races wasn't the posh and high sophisticated experience I expected. And the racing people were really, really, really interesting and fun and, you know, approachable and they wanted to share about this sport. So I think this is going to be fun to really talk about the personalities behind the sport of car racing. Okay. So we are here in season four of uh, Drive to Survive, and uh, we watched all of us uh, the first episode here to talk about it. But I think we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, just uh, big picture stuff. Amy, uh, how do you want to lead the, us in this discussion? Well, so I thought we might do this as a bit of a dummy's guide to Drive to Survive. So if you are a very, very serious F1 fan and you know all about the sport and you know all about the history of everything to do with Formula One, this may not be the podcast for you. I thought that I would kind of take you guys through a bit of um, stuff about what Formula One is, some of the key things you probably need to know about Formula One in order to watch the show. And then since we're talking about season four, maybe a little bit of background of the first three seasons, who some of the main characters are, so that once you start watching episode one of season four, you can kind of hit the ground running and you'll have an idea of the lay of the land of what the show is about and why you should watch it. Now, I have to say that this is very embarrassing for me. Um, I did not know the difference between Formula One and NASCAR. I thought that Formula One and NASCAR, it was all one and the same. Chappelle, I, I thought we were going to be seeing like uh, US, like NASCAR racing, and I thought that that's what this show was. Uh, well, I knew they were different, but I didn't know much either. So I, I have less knowledge about NASCAR than I do about Formula One at this point, because I've seen approximately um, four episodes of this and no episodes of anything to do with NASCAR racing. Um, but yeah, so I feel like you know, for dummies is definitely where I fall in. I'm definitely one of the dummies who is very eager to learn this from Amy. Uh, but it was so exciting. And you know, Rob, I'm an excitable guy. That's kind of, yes. that's kind of my bag. So the, the lights are going, there's, there's fast moving vehicles. People are talking trash. There's like intrigue about who's going to be up next. Who's going to be the, the, the new up and comer that uh, like usurp the, the, the main, uh, contenders here. Like the it, there's Iron a lot of Throne. drama. Yeah, like I, that kind of stuff gets me going. So I was like, all right, rev your engines, let's do it. And so, uh, yeah, wh while I don't know much about NASCAR, I would say if you ask me right now that I'm a bigger fan of Formula One, just based off of this limited knowledge that I do have uh, from the show. Yeah, we're Formula One guys, Amy. Mm -hmm. Oh, good, good. Well, as you should be, because I know nothing really about car racing, but my takeaway is that Formula One is like the pinnacle um, and the most prestigious of all car, car racing. I mean, it's a very, very international sport. They go, they do 22 races a season, I believe, and it's a different city and country for every race. So they are 
constantly traveling. The drivers come from all over the world, lots of Europeans mainly, but there's an Aussie, um, there is a couple of Americans, uh, and it's big money. I mean, we're talking budgets of 500 to $600 million in some of the bigger teams like Mercedes, but even a smaller team like Haas has still got a budget of $140 million. So this is big, big, serious money. There are some serious celebrities playing the game that we'll talk about as we get into some of the characters of the show. But I think this is really where you sort of see the cutting edge of what's happening in terms of motor vehicle technology, the things that they're doing with the engines and the way they're modifying the car, none of which I can tell you because I don't understand the technicalities. But my understanding is this really is um, the cutting edge of motorsport. This is the most prestigious place you can be if you want to be a car driver, a racer. What's the terminology? <laughs> racer, I guess. <laughs> Race car driver. Yep, that's us. Race car <laughs> Makes <driver>. sense. Makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> And it's certainly a huge event too. So um, as I mentioned, I grew up in Melbourne, um, about seven kilometres from where the track is in Albert Park. So from my house, we used to live in a really, really old um, bluestone double brick house, which was basically almost soundproof. You can hear the cars from my house seven kilometres away. That's how loud it is. Um, they close off all the streets around Albert Park in the weeks leading up and then for a couple of weeks after as they break it down again. So it really, when it descends, it takes over your city. I also used to live in Singapore, uh, and that was the place where they had the first ever F1 night race. Um, and that was huge. The government would spend all this money flying in all these big acts like Gwen Stefani and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Fatboy Slim, you know, Ariana Grande, and they would hold these massive outdoor concerts. And the whole city would stop for the four days that the F1 was on. So even if you are not somebody who has any interest in car racing, people will go to the F1 just to see the live music, to see all the sideshows that are going on, stand near the paddock and watch what's happening as the drivers coming in and out because it's just such a big buzz when they descend um, into a city. Amy, I think one of the problems I'm going to have with Formula One racing moving forward, though, is that this show has got me so engulfed in the drama around the racing that if I don't know all of the backstory of all the racers and like, oh, who's been winning, who, what's been going on with McLaren, what's like who Ferrari has now. Like, if I'm not following the lore behind the scenes, I don't know if I'm going to be as invested. Like, if I went to a race, you know, I would want to know what they're talking about in the pit crew and, you know, what they're talking about in the main office. And I don't think you get that. So I I wonder if other people feel the same way after they watch the show. Yeah, no, I think it's one of those things that, so since watching the show, I then tried to actually watch some Formula One racing. Like, so as I said, you know, we just finished having it in Melbourne. I tried to watch it live. It was so boring. The actual race doesn't do it for me at all, but I'm really interested in the semantics of the politics of what's going on. And I suppose if you're an RHAP listener, this is part of what we love about TV is the characters and the story arcs of the characters. Um, mm-hmm. So I still, throughout the Formula One season, um, I would go say semi-actively followed the politics of it. So if uh, there's, you know, negotiations going on for contracts or a driver is injured or something happens like that, um, I will read about that. Uh, and I find that that sort of often will pop up in my newsfeed just because of who I follow just from watching the show. Um, and that's enough to keep me going until the next season uh, where they basically break it all down for you. So anyone mm-hmm. who hasn't seen it, Drive to Survive basically operates pretty similar to Cheer in that you are essentially following 
um, since ah. the one calendar year of a race season. So it will wrap up from you from the first race to the last race, uh, the story arcs of most of the major teams and the major big drivers and team principals so that you kind of, by the end of each season, you've got a summary of what happened the year before. So, for instance, now if we're going to be talking about season four, which dropped, um, you know, this year, 2022, it is essentially a wrap-up of season 2021 of Formula One Racing. So if you're coming into this fresh, don't know anything about the sport, don't know anything about the show, don't go off and research about who won because you'll spoil yourself. Um, just watch it cold and it basically introduces all the characters to you. Uh, and I think the show does really a good enough job that even if you then didn't keep up with it, I think by the time you got to the next season, um, they're basically going to tell you what you need to know for whatever's going to be relevant for the next race. Amy, how far after the end of the season does uh, the show come out on Netflix? Um, so I, it's pretty soon. So I think the last episode of season four wrapped up with the very, very controversial last race of the season. Uh, and then after that, it was only, I think, a couple of months before the new, before it was out on Netflix. So it's a pretty short turnaround time. You're not sort of waiting six months or anything for it. It's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and I get the sense that they might potentially be editing three quarters of the show throughout the year so that then once they know what the outcome of the whole season is, then they probably, you know, finalize it all and then drop it all at once. So it's, um, it's pretty tight. Yeah, you don't have to wait too long for it. Chappelle, would you prefer if like the NFL would do this where then you don't have to watch uh, the Ravens every single week? You could just like uh, have at the end of the season that basically just 10 episodes to watch. No, 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 no. See, and that's the thing. If I if I was more interested in Formula One racing as a sport, then it wouldn't matter, right? Because we do the same thing in other sports. Like I was saying that I would be more invested if I had all the behind the scenes and stuff. But if you're invested in the sport just normally, like Amy says, once you start following the right people and the right accounts, you get all the backstory and the drama and, you know, they fill in the air with uh, the things behind the scenes that you wouldn't normally get just by watching a football game or, you know, like a basketball basketball game and so yeah i think for me let me just live in misery and root for the ravens uh like again i, I know i sound like a brat uh, complaining about a team that is probably going to make the playoffs but like, it's just so frustrating every year. So, year. well well rob here's the thing first you throw in my face that my car has melted and now you're throwing in my face my disaster of a team did i do something to disrespect you are you Look, mad it's better than my team is it yeah. I mean, we're in the same spot. <laughs> we're not, neither uh, one of us is winning I, I, anything. Yeah. Uh, listen, listen. Uh, that, you know, I, I don't want to fight in front of Amy, but... Uh, Look, that, you yeah. started it. How I'll dare, how dare you say on, we're in the same spot? I'll set, I'll set your car on fire and then we'll be even. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, essentially... So, I don't even know what sport you're talking about. So it doesn't matter. To, uh, to survive. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, I think um, it kind of operates a bit like cheer, as you said, Chappelle, earlier. Like, if you don't know anything about cheerleading, which I didn't when I first started watching cheer, there's enough about the big personalities to keep you in it. And I think Drive to Survive operates similar to um, maybe something like Survivor. You know, if you're a super, oh. super, uber, duper fan of Survivor, you might find that sometimes – watching some of the behind-the-scenes stuff and thinking about edging 
is frustrating because you can see that things are franken bias, that somebody's saying something about something and it's edited in a way to seem like it's from episode three, but clearly it's post-merge. You know, there are a lot of things behind the machinations of the show. If you're a super fan and then try to analyze it, you can get frustrated in the potato gate of it all. So similar to this, I think, with Drive to Survive, the really super Formula One fans, I think, often find a lot of faults with the show because they feel the editing is misleading, it's not nuanced enough, it paints the the season and sport in very kind of broad strokes rather than going into the fine nuances of what actually really happened on the ground, and that's because it is servicing a casual audience. Yeah, like with Cheer, you were saying that, um, you know, they pick, basically they pick the like five or six people they want to follow. And here's no different. You know, there are reasons why they pick these people. But yeah, if you're trying to sell this to dummies like myself, you want to just like tell the most compelling story, even if it doesn't pick up a lot of the nuance. Is that what you're saying, Amy? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. So, it's you know, it's a lot of confessionals with drivers and team principals, get a bit of commentary and overlay from sports journalists and experts, and then you get a lot of footage of things that's happening, um, you know, around the field and things like that. But if you want it to be super, super technical and super, super precise and cover every inch of the sport, this is not what the show is. It is much more a kind of a broad picture of essentially the human drama that's happening in the sport. And it has been so successful, this show. It's such a runaway hit that they are already doing versions for other sports. So um, there is a tennis version that is being filmed this season now. So when we had the Australian Open here um, and Novak Djokovic was being deported, Netflix was here capturing all of that. Um, So looking forward to that one coming out, yes, next year. Um, And I believe they're also doing one about golf. So I think it is something that will be replicated in other sports if um, if people are sort of interested and it does well yeah it's a great strategy yeah like, i i would yeah, consume absolutely. golf in like just 10 netflix episodes a year right and pa- packaged absolutely. in the most dramatic way possible way. yeah yeah right it's such a clever way to bring yeah, avoid all the spoilers sport mm. yeah 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 yep, exactly I would like to see this for maybe bowling as well. Just sports that don't probably get as much uh, recognition as they, you know, as like the people who are really into them would want. Um, so like, it's like, you've always wanted to get into, I don't know, uh, competitive badminton, you know, and like now it's badminton drive to survive. And you're like, Oh my gosh, this is really good. And you're hearing about all the drama and all the, the backstabbing and the politicking and the piranha club of it all. And then like, now you're a, a badminton expert. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, sign me up. Do you think that they could get more people watching badminton if they started referred to the fans of badminton as baddies? The badminton baddies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I would be a baddie. I think, Rob, we would be good baddies. (laughs) We would be good baddies for the badminton. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Okay. We're ready. We're ready, Amy. Rob. Would you like to start discussing some of these big characters? Because Amy has mentioned it a, a couple times, but the the people really become the star of the show after uh you know a few seasons in. I think you really get invested in some of their storylines. Yes, please. Oh. Well, Amy, I really want to talk about, or at least I want you to give me the rundown about who I think is painted as kind of like the star of the first two episodes of season four, uh, Mr. Daniel Ricciardo. 
Um, because I saw in the season one, he had a very interesting arc, but in season four, he seems to be having some struggles. Amy, do you have a lot more information on Daniel? Yeah, well, Daniel is an Aussie driver, so of course I take a special interest in him. Um, and he, yeah, it's quite interesting. Definitely in season one, he is like, he's the opening uh, confessional and the first season very much follows his story arc of what team he's with. He's at that stage racing um, as the one of the drivers for Red Bull and then he ends up moving at the end of the season and defecting to Renault. So we come back to him in season four and he's now with a completely different team again. Things with Renault have completely fallen apart and now he's racing with McLaren. And so he goes into the season as um, w- what everyone thinks is going to be the primary uh, driver for McLaren. So he's a really, really interesting character because he is very, very um, natural, uh, the way he interacts with the media, the way he interacts with Netflix. Um, you know, he's very uncensored. One thing about Drive to Survive to take note of is if you are somebody who um, has a problem with fruity language, this may not be the show for you. There is a lot of fruity language, including the C word. And when I say the C word, I'm not talking about crap. The big C word gets dropped multiple times. So if you have small kids, Uh-oh. maybe don't watch the show around them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of bad language. So, um, yeah, and he in particular is the one who kind of often drops really um, colourful little phrases that are quite hilarious and he's quite funny. But... The whole of Drive to Survive from season one to four very much kind of follows the story arc of essentially the way Ricardo goes from being the next big hope. Everyone thinks he's going to be the next Lewis Hamilton. He's going to be the next big thing. And that's not quite what we end up seeing um, because in four seasons he's raced with three different teams and he's not getting the kind of results you would want. Um, and I would say in Australia, as somebody who is not a huge Formula One fan, particularly not before the show, I might have heard of his name, but I didn't know anything about him. Um, And that is an indication to me that he has not really had the impact on the sport that you would expect because in Australia we love nothing more than a sporting hero. So if he had lived up to the potential that I think the show kind of puts behind him, he would be a huge name here, and he's not. So that makes me think that, um, yeah, there's a really interesting story arc there to be seen with this kid who's come from Western Australia, he's making it with the big boys over in Europe, and yet he can't still win the volume of races that we want him to win. Amy, can I ask you a question about uh, McLaren uh, in particular? Like, uh, of course, I know what Mercedes is. I know what Ferrari is. I know what Red Bull is. I don't really know why they're involved with Formula One. Uh, what, what is McLaren? Yeah, so McLaren is one of the big teams in Formula One. Essentially, Formula One has 10 different teams, um, and most of these are heritage teams. So they're teams that have raced in Formula One for a, for a long, long, long time. So McLaren is one of these um, heritage teams. It's been around for a long time. Their CEO is an American by the name of Zach Brown, um, and he's the main person sort of from the corporate strategy side of the team that we hear from. With most of the other teams, we tend to hear from what they call the team principal, who I guess is the guy who kind of coordinates race strategy, works with the mechanics, but also works with the drivers. Um, at McLaren, we don't really hear very much from their team principal at all. We hear more from the CEO, Zach Brown, uh, but he is essentially the guy who kind of gives us a commentary of what's happening inside the team. 
So the most I can tell you about them is that they are a well-established team. They have been racing for a very long time. Maybe they've seen better days in the past, um, but when we first come across them in Drive to Survive Season 1, they are a team that is really battling to try and come from the bottom of the field to the middle of the pack. By the time we get to Season 4, they are sitting firmly in the middle to the top end of the pack. Essentially, Season 4 charts the uh, race between McLaren and uh, Ferrari for third place in the overall final race results. Um, And we're looking at the battle between Ricardo, who has just freshly joined into the team, and then Lando Norris, who's a young driver, who's sort of up and coming, part of the go-kart crew, uh, who goes into this thinking he's going to be the secondary driver. um, And something happens throughout the season that kind of may or may not shift the politics and the power dynamic between these two drivers. I'm wondering if you guys wanted to take a bit of a step back yes. because mm-hmm. I was thinking if we're going to do this as a podcast for dummies, maybe we might want to do a bit of just background on generally how Formula One works because it's pretty complicated in a way that I didn't expect. I thought like McLaren, Ferrari, Red Bull, they've got one car, one driver, that's it, but it's actually a bit more complicated than that. So I don't know if you guys wanted to do a take a step back and talk about some of that stuff first before we really get into all the characters. Yes, please. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. I thought we would start off with quiz because I know how much RHAP loves quiz. So I've got a really straightforward quiz for you guys. It's only one, two, three, four, five questions. So it's really straightforward. Okay. I thought that might be a fun way to Can start. Can we work together? Okay. All right. 
Yes, definitely. Okay, do it all so, so the each question has three possible answers to choose from. So you just have to pick which is the correct answer. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Question one: Who or what is Toto? So your three options are the official Formula One mascot, a small terrier dog who runs out onto the track before the start of every race. The second option is the team principal of Mercedes. And the third possible option is a band that always plays their hit single, Africa, <laughs> to kick the sun off to the Silverstone Grand Prix. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so who or what is Toto? Yeah. All right. Well, Rob, I know for a fact that Toto sings Africa. Like, yes. I know that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Great song. <laughs> Yes, but do, is that the answer we're banger. looking for here? Is yeah. that is that what we're looking for? No, that Toto runs Mercedes. That uh, I, I know you, Chappelle knows this. I know that he takes uh, copious notes for whatever we talk about. Even in my notes, I have that Toto Toto Wolf uh, is the head at Mercedes. Yeah, so yeah, we can agree on that because I remember in season four they talk a little bit about Toto and the fact that like he has inherited this empire of Mercedes, but they don't even know if he's going to be the guy who can keep it going because he's just a finance guy and maybe he's not like really tapped in on the competition. So, uh, Amy, I think Toto is our final answer. That's correct. Toto is the team principal of Mercedes. Uh, he's been really, really successful. Uh, long-running team principal um, with uh, Mercedes. They've run, won, I think, eight world championships. Um, he's also married to Susie Wolf, who is one of the very few women in the series who is also a successful uh, team principal of a smaller team in her own right. Used to be a test driver for Formula One, so very, very well-established uh, character in both the sport and the show. Okay, so, okay, so question two. When a driver is given the instruction, box, box, what does this mean? Does it mean, A, pull off the racetrack and into the pits? B, trigger the box mechanism, which is an emergency fireproof lid to box in the driver and protect them during a crash? Or C, there's a box on the track that you need to find that contains a secret hidden immunity idol? (laughs) Hmm. Okay. What do you think, Chappelle? I, I, well, my, I think it's the second one. You think it's the second one? I like my initial reaction was that it was the pit, but what is the what was the second option? What was it? Yeah, like, so uh, the second option is trigger the box mechanism, an emergency fireproof lid to box in the driver and protect them during a crash. So, Rob, is this like the the is it the Mach Five? This is like Speed Racer, and there's like a like a button you press, and then like we get like these random superpowers in our car, or is this the pit stop? I, I think I, I'm torn. It could be uh, either <laughs> one. That if it's box box, I feel like that that's more like uh, like uh, abort abort. You know uh, that because you say it twice, it makes me feel like mm-hmm. that that's emergency procedures. Okay, let's go with it. Okay, that is incorrect. Uh, box box means to pull off the racetrack and into the pits. See, Rob, something told me that there wasn't like a button on the keypad that just like immer- immerses this guy in like a fireproof, uh, like a uh, cocoon uh, mid race. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, there yeah, is that something like that. Technology would be cool. Do they have that, Amy? No, they don't. Have no, that. they should invent that. Okay, <laughs> maybe I should put it for my cars next time <laughs> it decides to melt. <laughs> Chappelle is almost never wrong. 
that Stop it. If, if if we are have are split, we should go with you. Oh no, 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 no. I think that was a good guess. I just again, it just gave me very big speed racer vibes. That's all. Okay. And that makes sense because this is a speed racer esque show. <laughs> all right, question three. How many drivers are there in an F one field? Eighteen? Twenty or twenty two? Hmm. Uh I don't know this one, Rob. I'm not gonna lie to you. I I think twenty two was the amount of races there were, right? Or something like that. I, so, I wanna say it was yeah, I think it's either twenty or twenty two. It's definitely not eighteen. And okay. um yeah, that was like their like uh, 39 days, 16, <laughs> 16 people. Uh right. It's like ten <laughs> companies, right? Mm-hmm. Twenty and then and then it was something was twenty and something was twenty-two. Was it twenty oh. drivers and twenty and, and twenty-two races? Probably, probably twenty drivers because you get two drivers per team, right? More okay. than likely. So if it's ten teams, two drivers yes. each, that would be twenty. So let's okay. you re- you good with twenty? I'm good. Okay, let's go with twenty, Amy. That's correct. Hey, twenty drivers. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so you're right. So there are ten teams in Formula One. Um, each team has two main drivers. Um, and one of the things that I think is different about season four compared to season one is season one very much tries to pit it as, um, the two drivers are fighting against each other for supremacy within their team. Um, and this is part of how the show paints it as why Ricardo ends up leaving Red Bull. By the time we get to season four, Max Verstappen, who was supposed to be the number two at Red Bull is now actually the second most dominant driver in the entire sport. Ricardo has gone to McLaren. His career is kind of in free fall. Um, but season four very much looks at it in a different way. They look at these driving partnerships and how these guys actually need to also work together because ultimately it is a team sport. Um, and so that's part of the politics of what the show focuses on is the dynamic between the two drivers in each team. So 10 teams, 20 drivers. Um, gotcha. Question four. The winner of a race in F1 receives 25 points. Second place receives 18 points. How many points does second last place receive? <laughs> Boy. Um, All right, we have okay. multiple choice. We have multiple choice. Two, yeah, two, one, or zero. Hmm. Um, I feel like if you come in second to last, you can have zero points. Like, what's the point of giving you two? Really? Like, what are you really going to do at that point? Yeah, I feel like that this is uh, international. I feel like that we're not getting like uh, participation trophy points here at the bottom, right? Yeah, could you imagine the end of the season and you're like, okay, and McLaren brought in a whopping seven points, you know, because you could like <laughs> because some bad things started happening. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like you gotta. You probably gotta at least be in like the top five or something like that to get some real points here, right? Um, like there's no way they're calculating what 18th place is getting. I just don't see them wasting time on that. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense. So uh, final yeah, answer. I'm gonna go with zero. Yeah. Okay. You yes. are correct. Yes. So basically the way it works in Formula One is they only count points for the top ten. Well, everybody from 11 and underneath doesn't get any points. So essentially the spot for third and fourth is also really important um, in the overall race 
points for the whole year because essentially anybody below 10 doesn't get any points and they will drop out of contention to sort of have any kind of acknowledgement for the rest of the year pretty quickly. And, of course, all of that then impacts finances and how much sponsorship money you can get for the following season. Okay. Um, So last question, what does Halo mean in F1 terminology? Number one, it's a famous song by Beyonce. Mm. Number two, it's a religious item that some Catholic drivers use to bless themselves pre-race. Or number three, it's a part of the car that controversially was installed as a safety measure for crashes. Mm. Can you repeat the question? (laughs) Yep. What does Halo mean in F1 terminology? terminology. Famous song by Beyonce. Religious items some Catholic drivers used to bless yeah. themselves pre-race or a part of the car controversially installed as a safety measure. Chappelle, for I was looking for a, all of the above. Well, yeah. I, well, look, I, I would. I know a right. Like yeah. I, I'm pretty. I'm. I'm pretty confident about that. But my question about C though is the like, what would be controversial about like installing something to help with crashes, Rob? What do you think? <sighs> Could it slow? Could it maybe some people say it doesn't work? Yeah, well, yeah, that would be controversial. <laughs> you make people put this in their car and it's like, uh, yeah, this the Halo thing is slowing us down, but it's not really working. Uh, yeah, I think I kind of think we got to go with that one. What, what mean, do you think? C is the only one that makes sense. Yeah, I'm, well, Beyonce always makes sense, Rob. How dare always you? makes but, sense. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little presumptive, Amy, to say that uh, that uh, Beyonce's song is not part of uh, in F one terminology because uh, that there, I'm sure there are many drivers that Beyonce <laughs> is world renowned. Mm-hmm. If you think Ricardo's not listening to Halo, you're out of your mind, Amy. I'm sorry, he's definitely mm-hmm. jamming that in the car. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. True. 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 No, you're correct. It is a part of the car controversially installed. Why is it controversial? For crashes. Um, I don't know why it's controversial. I think any time they make modifications to the car, I, again, I feel like to draw the survivor analogy. Any time there's a twist in the game, people don't like it. Yeah, we so, get that a lot. Yeah. Um, I know it's something that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something that was put into the cars. People didn't like it. Toto Wolf in particular was very vocal about how he felt it should not be put into the car. Um, and then the high, well, I guess the emotional highlight of season three is when Romain Grosjean had a massive crash. I think it's in the second last episode and his car actually was ripped in half. Um, and there was, there's a substantial amount of time they spend on this crash where you don't know if he's going to be okay or not. Thank goodness he ends up walking away and he's fine. Um, it's quite significant burns, but. There's no doubt that the halo is what saved his life. So uh, it's been one of these things that's proven the naysayers to be incorrect. It's very important in terms of crashes, and I think people now can sort of see the value that it's added to the sport. But, yeah, same as Survivor. Anytime they change anything, Mm -hmm. super fans don't like it. Okay. I think I'm a fan of the Halo. If it saved this man's life, then I don't know how controversial I would. Like, at that point, you kind of, you've won me over, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Totally agree with you. So I thought I would give you guys a bit of a breakdown of, um, yeah, some of the main characters that are uh, sort of appearing in Season 4. And if you want some background on the previous three seasons, I've got a bit of that as well if we wanted to talk about that. But I thought this would kind of give you a taste for sort of who to look out for, what the season Mm -hmm. is about, um, and, 
you can just sort of decide based on that whether you want to invest sure. your time and watch it. But I was curious to hear what you guys thought based on the little that you watched of what season four was going to actually play well, out. Can I ask just a question about uh, in watching the one episode that uh, so I watched the first episode from season one and then I watched uh, the first episode from season four and I, and I really loved uh, the first episode of season four more so than the first episode from season one, which I feel like was a lot more like set up. Is every episode formatted the same way where it's every episode one race or do they race only every couple of episodes? No, so there's always race in every episode, sometimes more than one. So I think the big difference with season one to all the other seasons was, number one, you're correct, it was an introductory episode, so it was a lot more of a here's what Formula One is. For anyone who literally doesn't know anything about the sport, this is how it works. Um, Because it was the first season as well, Netflix was new to the paddock, so a lot of the teams, say like Mercedes, you don't get any kind of one-on-one with Mercedes because they just didn't want to be part of it. They just all thought it was BS. Once season one really took off and did really well, then they changed the format up. So the formats going forward tend to be that they focus on a story arc. So, for instance, episode one of season four is very much about the rivalry between Red Bull and Mercedes, and it sort of will follow that over a couple of different key races throughout the season, um, and then they will sort of dip in and out of that for the rest of the season as they do episodes about those teams. So it tends to be that each episode will focus either on one team or a couple of teams, what the relationship is between those teams, and then how that plays out on the relevant races on the track. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Rob, see, since you only watched episode one of season four, like you really missed some of the cool things uh, that were happening. Like, Are you trying to give me FOMO, Chappelle? Yeah, I am because I got to get you to watch a couple more episodes. Okay. Listen, in season four, episode one, we get very much like this, the whole story of it was, it was set up, you know, in a way, but we get the whole story about like Mercedes is this big time champion that like everybody's trying to beat, like who's going to take them down. And, you know, uh, Daniel Ricardo has jumped ship. We've got some new like rookies in the mix. It's very much setting up what the season's going to be like. But in episode two, they do the same race again like at the beginning of the episode and mm-hmm. they talk about like other people's perspectives of it. Oh, and we start talking. Yeah. We start talking about like Ferrari a little bit more. And we talk about McLaren a little bit more to where you're like, Oh, this isn't necessarily all about, you know, Mercedes. And if they're going to be able to hold on to their title, it becomes like Amy brought up earlier, uh, conversations about, whether or not like these teammates are, you know, at each other, whether or not Daniel Ricardo is still going to be able to be the hot shot that he was looked at as to, uh, you know, to be in the past and who's going to get the third and fourth place points. Because as we know, Mercedes and Red Bull might be the f- the favorites, but you still get points for being pretty close to, uh, to the favorites. So although, they, although they, a lot of people don't think they're going to take down Mercedes, it really does matter if whoever's getting third and fourth and some of these higher, uh, ranking spots. So yeah, once you get into episode two, they start to give you a little bit more like a uh, story behind that first race. And then they creep into other races like Monaco and we start to get other people's perspectives as well. So you got to check it out. Okay. Yeah. So, um, there's no doubt that Red Bull and Mercedes are, the two big guns of the sport and then of the show as well. So if you look into the, those are the teams that have the most money, they have really, really um, strong training programs. So 
as the season goes on, you start to find out that some of these drivers from some of the smaller teams that are not doing very well, that are at the back of the pack, their young drivers are actually all drivers that race as sort of B drivers, I guess, for Red Bull and Mercedes as well. So there's definitely um, there's a lot of stability and uh, import and money that's happening with those two big teams. So to give you a bit of background about them, so Mercedes, their two main drivers are Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. Lewis Hamilton is the giant of the sport, uh, seven world championships, the most um, of all time tied with Michael Schumacher, 103 race wins. So he is, you know, the king of the sport. And while the show does give you some confessionals with him, it feels to me like he's quite rehearsed in front of the camera. He understands how to play the media game. Um, and certainly what you hear is that off track, he doesn't really kind of associate with the other drivers. He's very much sort of in a league of his own, a bit like, say, a Roger Federer in tennis. You know, he's sort of operating on a different godlike level to everybody else. And then so the story kind of of season four charts, he's kind of the big gun. Everybody's coming after him and Toto, who is not the race mascot of Formula One, but is actually the team principal, as we said earlier. Um, People want to bring down Mercedes. People are sick of seeing Mercedes win every year. They dominate, they dominate, they dominate. Everyone wants to see Mercedes kind of torn off the pedestal for this season. The other kind of secondary storyline that you see with Mercedes is about Valtteri Bottas. This poor guy is essentially like the bridesmaid to Lewis Hamilton. He's constantly being told to be a team player. Even if he's about to win a race, he'll often be told to back off and let Lewis Hamilton beat him so that Lewis can add another win to his record. Um, And he's a guy whose contract is up for renewal. So is he going to be renewed? given that his performances are always probably below par for where he could actually achieve just because of the fact that Mercedes is very focused on prioritising Hamilton and Bottas is never really allowed to live up to his full potential. So it's a really interesting dynamic to watch in that team. They're very polished. They are very... um, They come across very kind of German, Austrian. The way that Toto Wolff talks is very... Schwarzenegger-like with his accent and um, the way he speaks. And so it's that, that's a very clinical, polished race team um, and they give a really kind of different dynamic to the other teams on the track, which are a little bit more scrappy, a little bit more, um, yeah, I, I don't know, just, yeah, just a bit more scrappy and a bit rougher around the edges. Yeah. It, um, for me, I was not not invested in Mercedes at all. You know, like I think it's because they paint them so much as like the front runner that um, like that everybody's trying to take down to where in a way I kind of want to root for them, like to like be able to like keep all the haters off their backs. But, you know, they make such compelling uh, arguments for all the underdogs for you to actually care about them. And so I think like, yeah, the Hamilton, uh, like he's the big, the big dog, but mm-hmm. like, maybe Red Bull will, you know, step it up and take the and, and take the uh, reins here. And in the episode one of season four, we see that it looks like Mercedes has lost a step, right? That um they're not unbeatable because at the trials, at like the preseason stuff, um, like they're having issues. And so people are starting to say, well, if it's getting this close between Mercedes and these other teams, and maybe, just maybe, this will be the one that they lose. And 
everybody is like very openly rooting against uh, yeah. Red Bull. Well, I almost felt like <laughs> I mean, that Mer- Mercedes. Mercedes is is the underdog because it was like that. The, it seems like the whole league is sort of like, yeah, our whole thing is like we don't want Mercedes to win anymore. So it's like that. Uh, I, I felt like that they were like uh, everybody's on board to try to make them lose. So in some way, I felt like that they are the underdog. Are they? Because Rob, what if this is the Patriots? Yeah, then I mean, but, but if you but if you're a Patriots fan, it's like, yeah, Deflategate wasn't real, and they, they you know, that they, they just made stuff up because they wanted to try to get us to not win. So, yeah, I, I definitely could see how you could like end up with like a you know a underdog complex, even though if you've been successful. Yeah, because even the president of the Bahrain Motor Federation, we see him like uh, Sheikh Abdullah bin Isa Al Khalifa shows right. up, and he's like kick their asses like sir <laughs> you cannot be biased and he's very much biased he's like i don't care i want them dead um and mm-hmm. uh, you know not dead but you know he's he, everyone's preying on their downfalls and so in a way it is kind of fun to root for uh for mercedes here but you know that episode one does look like it leaves some openings for other people to kind of step into that spotlight Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This is very much the story of the season is can Mercedes be brought down? Uh, the main team that looks like they have the potential to do this is Red Bull. So Red Bull was kind of the, I guess, the team that we got to spend the most time with in season one and we sort of charted them throughout one, two and three to sort of see the rise of Max Verstappen. So Max was the driver who was with Ricardo in season one. Uh, he was sort of supposed to be the up-and-comer. And in the three seasons since, he has become the dominant force after Hamilton in the world of F1. He's really, really aggressive. He's really kind of high testosterone, does not mind sort of forcing other people off the track, um, really, really arrogant and very kind of um, full of confidence of his own ability. And so he really has the potential and is probably the only driver on the grid, really, who has the potential to bring down Hamilton and pose a significant challenge to Mercedes. So that's kind of an exciting dynamic that we're going to see play out between the two of them, this kind of nice guy persona that they're presenting with Lewis Hamilton and then Max Verstappen, who, you know, has got something to prove and really wants to take that mantle and own it. Mm-hmm. So Max's uh, team principal for Red Bull is Christian Horner. So Christian Horner is... From what I can tell, much hated by social media. People don't like oh him on social yeah, media. Yeah, well, he was horseback riding uh, with his wife, Jerry, in the episode, right? Yes. Do you recognize Jerry from anywhere else? Jerry Horner. Uh, is she a Spice Girl? No. <laughs> yeah, she is a Spice Girl. <laughs> so she's Ginger Spice. So she, um, she was pops right. in and out. We just see the yes, little right. of her. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes, yes, we get little Spice Girl uh, cameos Chappelle, you throughout knew that? the season, but she doesn't really. Yes, R- Rob, I listened to Rob and Akiva's Spice Up Your Life or whatever it was okay. called. So I, I was, I have been educated on I feel like on you have a lot Spice of Spice Girls. Girls knowledge beyond that. I really don't think I do. You don't? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what gave you that impression, but this is, uh. Because I feel yeah. like that you're an authority on all sorts of like 90s uh, pop culture. Yeah, I mean, the Spice Girls were very much like girl power. And I was like, oh, dang, like, I don't really, they don't really speak to what I believe mm-hmm. in. I mean, don't believe, I, I, you know, girl power is great or whatever. But in the 90s, I was like, like a child. And so I was like, oh, well, 
I guess I'll go find something else to root for, you know, here. But um, yeah, best uh, selling female group of, of all time or something like that uh, worldwide, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so big deal. But I was shocked to see uh, Ginger Spice of all people here in this show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of ironic that you talk about girl power because there's no girl power in any of this <laughs> show or the sport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Ginger Spice is one of the few, I'd say there's probably only three female characters we see with any regularity on the season. And she literally just pops up with these kind of little supporty 1950s wifey kind of comments about, I'm so proud of you, darling. And <laughs> that's kind of it. So, uh, yeah, not a lot of girl power in Drive to Survive, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, Kristen Horner, yeah, people generally speaking, I don't know if you have this word in America, but they consider him to be a bit of a wanker. He's always pictured and he's in his giant grounds riding his horses and essentially whinging about Mercedes a lot of the time. But as you say, Chappelle, um, if there's a bit of an underdog story and uh, wanting to sort of see some excitement brought into the sport, Red Bull really is the team that has the potential to defeat Mercedes. So, it's this kind of funny relationship you end up having with Christian Horner throughout the season where on one hand he can be pretty irritating, but on the other hand this is the team that can really make the sport exciting in a way that maybe other people would say it hasn't been for a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like he's the heel in the show, but it's kind of like he's also our best our best bet at, you know, taking down, um, you know, the big dog or, you know, the people at the top. Um, so yeah, I, I find myself rooting for Red Bull a lot when I'm watching this, but I, I like to root for the people. So it's hard for me to root for Christian Horner specifically, especially now that I know he's a bit of a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> well, says social media. I've not mentioned oh, yeah. personally. Says, says social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like allegedly, allegedly a wanker, mm-hmm. big wanker. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> so Red Bull has a B team that is part of one of the 10 teams that races in F1 called Scuderi Alfatori. If you watch any European sports like, say, the Tour de France, what's really confusing is that the teams often will change names from season to season depending on who the sponsors are. So as the new season starts, you have to relearn all the names of the teams because they change and they can change liveries, like uniforms and colours and things, season to season as well. But essentially for... Season four of Draft to Survive, the B team for Red Bull is, yes, Scuderi, Alpha Tori. They've got a couple of young drivers. Uh, season four introduces Yuki Sonoda, who is a Japanese driver, um, and we follow a little bit of Pierre Gasly. So Pierre Gasly is interesting because he's part of this um, group that I call the go-kart crew. Okay. So there's a pack of these young European drivers now who's kind of like the next generation. So once somebody like a Hamilton retires, I think this is where the power in the sport is going to be. So you've got drivers like Pierre Gasly, who races for Alvatore, Charles Leclerc, who races for Ferrari, just won the Australian Grand Prix, Esteban Ocon, who races for Alpine, um, George Russell, who races for Williams in this series. These are all guys who essentially have grown up in Europe and they've go-karted together since they were kids. So as literally sort of 10, 11, 12-year-olds, they used to travel all around Europe racing each other in go-karts. They've come up through all the other rankings of the formula sports. 
They've raced in Formula 2 together, and now these are all the Formula 1 drivers. Um, and what's interesting about them is rather than a rivalry, they're actually all really good mates. So they hang out together when they're not racing. They encourage each other. You see a lot of banter happening between these characters, um, you know, when they're in the paddock. And so that's kind of a nice camaraderie you see with this next generation of younger drivers who have known each other their whole lives and are now professionally going to kind of hit their peak all together at the same time. Amy, I do have a question about these new up-and-comers. Uh, there were three that they mentioned. I know you mentioned uh, Yuki Tsunoda, but uh, who are Mick uh, Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin? Because I, I caught, I didn't get too much from uh, the other two, but Nikita had a pretty bad race in that uh, season four opener. Yeah, so is that the guy that wiped out immediately? Useless. Yeah, like within three seconds, Rob, he crashed. Like not crashed, but he was in the gravel mm-hmm. very quickly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So he's the son of a Russian oligarch, um, and essentially he races for a team called Hass. Hass is probably the other biggest team that you get to know, not because their race results are any good. In fact, often their race results stink, but because their team principal is Gunter Steiner, who is the proponent of the most colourful language in the whole series. Um, He's constantly saying really rude, inappropriate things, he speaks without thinking, and he is a hilarious, um, you know, jokester throughout the whole show. So Haas is a team that is constantly on the brink of collapse. It constantly feels like every season we've got no money, we've got no sponsors, um, what are we going to do? Our drivers keep crashing. It was their driver who in season three his car broke in half um, and, you know, the driver nearly died. So they, this is a team that is just a constant hot mess um, at, they bring hilarious television to our screens. So they actually have, yeah, two of the three new drivers for this season, as you say, Chappelle. So Nikita Mazepan, essentially he's portrayed throughout the season as the kid who's only racing because his dad has stepped in and pumped in money to save the team. So without the dad's money, this kid wouldn't should not be racing. He doesn't really have the skill or the talent, definitely has the arrogance. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens through him throughout the season, whether he proves everybody wrong or not. But the fact that he's Russian also then adds another layer if you think about the political impact of what is happening with Russia and Ukraine towards the end of last year. So that does come into play um, in the overall politics of the, the race season more than the show. Um, their mm-hmm. other new driver is Mick Schumacher, who is the son of the great Michael Schumacher. Um, so he appears in the season. He's not really. Can I ask who is Michael Schumacher? Really He's another driver. So Michael Schumacher is holds the record tied with Lewis Hamilton for the most Formula One wins in history, the most Formula One championships. He used to race for Ferrari a long time ago, um, and also famous for about I feel like it's about ten years ago. He had a skiing accident. Um, I believe crashed into a tree off east and has not been heard from in public since. So he's uh, reclusive now. We do not know the state of his health or what's happened to him or really anything about him other than that he's still alive. But he was, you know, considered to be the godfather of Formula One racing, a really dynamic, um, amazing driver who had this terrible accident and um, has gone missing ever since. And there's a whole documentary about him on Netflix at the moment as well. 
So he really kind of brings that really strong racing heritage to the sport. And so this is now um, his son coming in to race F1 for the first time. Yeah, that's such a tragedy uh, hearing about that from uh, Mr. Shoemaker um, Sr. Or, or the you know, the legendary Shoemaker. Because, um, you know, I think I read somewhere that he... Um, like, you know, like you said, he hasn't really been seen in public, but like there's always like rumors of where he could be now, you know, like what what his progress is. Like they said he couldn't walk and that he was having struggle communicating. And, you know, and then like you'd hear here and there that he was doing like uh, stem cell perfusion and stuff like that. Like there was a lot of stuff going on. And like, I guess the best people could say was like that he's conscious. And so like that doesn't sound great. And it's horrible for a, such a legend of a sport like this to, to be in such a situation. Those skiing accidents. I mean, man, it, it makes me terrified to go skiing. Cause I just know the tree would have my name on it very quickly. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So I was, I was like, Oh man, this is cool. This is his son. And Amy, this is like the second or third, uh, like family of racers we come across in this series. Right. Because I think there's another father son duo. I think that's in like season one. Am I correct? Yeah, that's right. So that other team is uh, it's Lance Stroll is the driver um, and his dad, Stroll Senior, can't remember his first name, they're Americans. Um, and, yes, they are, have also bought a team and essentially because of that the son has now got into the sport. So I think it's a really common thing. I think, I mean, as I was saying about that go-kart crew, I think it's a sport that requires a lot of money, a lot of commitment, it's not something you can sort of choose to take up in your 20s. It's something that these kids have been doing as go-kart racers since they were quite small. So I think coming from a family of um, people who are into the sport and are into cars and mechanics and all of that stuff can really make a difference to your success in the sport. It's very much a heritage sport. The team of Williams, who featured a lot in Season 2, um, was then silent for season three because they really started to fall apart. Um, and now we're in season four. We see Williams, which is a team that was always owned by the Williams family. Frank Williams was a also a legendary F1 driver. His daughter, Claire Williams, was running the team. She really is the only woman uh, who has a substantial role in the TV series. By season four, sadly, the family has had to sell the racing team they can no longer keep it at a competitive level and that's gone to a private equity company and so there is um you know their storyline is following sort of what's going to happen now that they are being managed by a you know independent group of people as opposed to the family so it's very much a sport where Mm -hmm. there's a lot of families um you know a lot of fathers handing down to sons daughters in supporting roles who might have married drivers or married team principals um, and then teams that have historically been owned and lived in Formula One for a very, very long time. Yeah, Rob, um, uh, Amy mentioned Lance Stroll and the cool thing about Lance Stroll is that I remember in season one, uh, everyone's like, oh, why is this kid driving for, I think it was Force India and they're like, yeah, his dad's a billionaire and he basically saved the team. So mm-hmm. his dad, Lawrence, is like, Makes yeah, sense. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna put money toward this, it's my boy who's gonna be driving for the team. And I don't think he was like particularly good. So he had to like really step up to the plate because everybody just thought it was kind of like nepotism or something. You know, but it's um, a dangerous but, job to put your kid in. I mean, but he's it's not like his kid has not raced before. It's not like he just woke up one day and was like, I brought this team, now you gotta go be a racer. But you mm-hmm. know, he grew up around it. Um, but you know, 
not necessarily the best person for the job, just has a, a connection. You know, a billionaire dad will do it for you. That'll do it. Yeah. Mm hmm. Amy, can I ask you a question about just yeah. the way that the seasons play out where like uh, that we've talked about how uh, Mercedes uh, that they have like a big uh, dynasty and they've been very successful. Does like in terms of like the standings, um, like is it like a foregone conclusion, like early in the season of uh, where it's going or like uh, do they basically like clinch at a certain point when they've won enough races? So typically in the past, it has been always a foregone conclusion. We've all known that Mercedes was going to win and it becomes quite apparent early on. So seasons one, two, and three, you're very much focusing more on the dynamics of the politics of the personalities. Season four is really different and it really does come down to literally the last 10 minutes of the final episode of the season. Um, and don't spoil yourself and go off and read the race results. But when you finish watching the season, you'll realize that actually, um, yeah, it, it all is very, very tight. The competitiveness between Red Bull and Mercedes really comes right down to the final lap of the final race of the whole season. Mm -hmm. And that's actually fantastic viewing for, um, the way that Drive to Survive is set up. That first episode really does play out in the final episode where we get sort of a wrap-up of what's happened throughout the season. And it, I think, is one of the most controversial championship deciders um, in the history of the sport. It's quite groundbreaking. Somebody ends up getting fired. Somebody very, very senior in the sport ends up getting fired at the end. So it really does become quite exciting. Of all the seasons, I would say, there is an argument that somewhere in the middle of the season, it is a little bit slower, maybe not so compelling by now. You sort of, if you've watched the three seasons before, you know what's happening in the sport. You're kind of in the lull of the middle of the season, but by the end, it very much delivers because you do not know what is going to happen until the final, final few minutes. And the way it ends, they really set up a very, very fun kind of villain story um, of somebody who now is really super angry and wants their revenge. And so it makes it an exciting teaser for whatever season five is going to bring. Amy, would you say that season four is the best of the four Formula One seasons? Not necessarily, but I think in terms of race results, it's definitely the most exciting from that perspective. So um, for me, probably I really loved season two. Season one was fun because it was a good intro, but as you say, it is very much a setup season. And to go back and rewatch it, it's a little bit slower once you already know how the dynamics work. I really personally liked season two. I thought season two brought in a lot more of those kind of secondary B characters, a lot of that go-kart crew. So you sort of starting to understand the overall dynamics. And that was the season where Netflix really started to make an impact. So similar to Cheer, season two, you see that that whole meta story of how Netflix is interacting with the sport becomes part of the storyline. That's a bit more what you see in season two. By season four, still really great. Um, but as I say, in the middle, it does. There are a couple of episodes you can kind of yada yada over and cook dinner while you're watching. But by the end, definitely the dynamic of how that season plays out is really kind of thrilling. And I think it is the strongest season in terms of the actual racing, um, not necessarily the politics, because I think by season four, they kind of expect you to know some of the characters. So some of them do revert a little bit to archetype because they're really trying to push the story of what's happening in the actual racing. Mm hmm. Well, Rob, 
Listen, I heard that season four was strong, but honestly, the rankings that I've been seeing, I heard it that it wasn't it wasn't the best. But I think it's because Oh. Yeah, I heard that it was like worse. What did honestly. you see, Chappelle? Listen, I think people come here for the politics. I really do. I think the the backstory, the intrigue, the drama, I think that's really why they come here. And so since the racing is a lot stronger in season four and it's less, you know, um, of the built-in drama like it has been in the past, you know, the character building, then yeah, I think it loses a little bit uh, from what I've seen. Now, that being said, um, I, I do think that like with Amy like giving us a little teaser about the ending, like I am very invested in seeing you know what exactly happens here. Because aside from the Mercedes drama, you got Ferrari drama, you got um you got like uh like these just competing people within teams. You got uh, you know, to see if Hamilton is still gonna be able to do the do the thing, right? You got Daniel and his in his journey, got McLaren drama and all the drama. But like, I really want to see what happens where somebody gets fired. It's all this controversy. That's what I need. Um, because season one, it was just very much like a documentary, docu-series. This became like almost like The Office, you know, where it's like we are filming a docu-series and everybody knows it. You know, like to the mm-hmm. point where they're like interviewing people. We got the producers all in the mix. Amy said that happened around season two, but this is three seasons in. So I feel like maybe... Maybe that format is getting old or something like that for season four, because like I said, I've heard mixed reviews. Um, but I encourage you, Rob, to go and check it all out because I am. And then maybe for season five, you're gonna watch we, the whole series. Uh, no, but okay. we can definitely jump in season, season four. four. Yeah. Yeah. The episodes or, or are not super one. long also. No, 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 no. Like, I thought long. these were gonna be like fifty-five minute episodes. I saw like a lot of like thirty-fives and uh thirty-eights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You get into the forties, but I Rob I think season one is foundational. That's what some of the listeners told me. But you know, I think season four, it ends in a in a way that if there is going to be a season five, you might want to stick around for it. Okay. I definitely agree with that. I think season four sets up some interesting stuff with some of those secondary characters as well. There's a lot of um movement that happens in some of the teams towards the end of the season that I think will set up some interesting dynamics for season five. So some of that is worth watching just so that when season five comes along, I think you'll get a better understanding of where these drivers are coming from, what the politics is in between the teams um, and in amongst the teams as well. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of um, shakes out as some of these uh, younger drivers are starting to really hit their stride. They've been in the sport for a couple of years now and they're starting to see some really strong results. Okay. Amy, is there anything else about Formula One Drive to Survive you want to tell us uh, Tell us two dummies uh, about? Uh, probably the only other thing I would say is that at the end of the day, it is a show about car racing. So there's a lot of testosterone. It's very male-centric. There are basically hardly any women at all. Uh, and, you know, that's the one big failure of the show. There's not a lot of diversity. We're looking at a lot of young white men, uh, and that's part of what the sport is about. But I think opening it up to this casual audience of dummies like us is really important part of them bringing the diversity because as more people come to the sport, um, it becomes less of a privileged space. Then maybe we'll see more women. You'll see more people of colour. You'll see, um, you know, even commentators of different kind of backgrounds coming in and contributing to the sport. And that will be all important in just opening the sport up a bit. But it is a really stark thing. If you are someone who likes to see a lot of diversity, not a lot of diversity on this show. All <laughs> European men. So 
Can I ask, how did the show uh, handle COVID and, and how big of a deal uh, was COVID? Because, I mean, I, they are outside. There's a lot of people wearing masks. Uh, did COVID really do a number on Formula One? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, um, there were several races that did not happen because of COVID. Because there's a lot of international travel. Yeah, huge amount of international travel. So it meant that, for instance, in Melbourne, we lost two Grand Prix and that was millions of dollars for our local economy that just vanished. Uh, but it also affected the sport too. And similar to cheer in that it builds up towards this kind of rivalry, a showdown that we think is going to happen, and then all of a sudden the pandemic just wipes everything out. Everybody has to go off to their respective houses, lock down, and then reset and come back to the sport. So, yeah, it definitely covers a bit of that in the show um, and even the way in which the teams are able to interact with each other is hampered a little bit because of the fact that they have to socially distance the way they have to travel and um and behave in the paddock is different because they're not allowed to kind of be close to other people so that definitely is part of the story as well sounds good okay Chappelle, any other thoughts on formula one drive to survive oh no rob this was a good time i enjoyed yeah. it i'm so this happy a great warm-up Yes, yes. Again, like I like I said, I don't know anything about racing, but I did enjoy this. Um and like they don't do a really good job of explaining to you what's going on with the nuance of the race the racing mechanics, but you know, you don't really have to know that to enjoy it either. You know, like they give you enough to know like, oh, something dramatic just happened, or oh, you're taking a pit stop here. You shouldn't be taking a pit stop here. Like, oh, okay. So by the end of this, you might feel like somewhat of an expert. And so hopefully I watch a few of these episodes and then when people start to talk about racing, I can speak about it intelligently kind of like how i can almost speak about the spice girls intelligently rob <laughs> almost 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 uh yeah just hope that they're talking about formula one and that nascar oh uh, yeah if they're talking about nascar i'm out i have nothing uh maybe hot wheels i could probably talk mm-hmm. about hot wheels um okay. but that's it <laughs> all right and then amy uh a- any other thoughts that you want to share with us before we talk about what we're going to do next week no, that's a great show. If you love reality TV, you love seeing the politics of people in high pressure, high pressure situations, you'll like the show. I think what you think about the sport is actually irrelevant. You don't need to know anything about it. I don't watch any Formula One, and I love the show. So definitely get on board. There's a reason why it's so successful. It's really compelling viewing. Okay. All right. Amy, thank you for all of that and uh, bringing some more information to us on uh, Formula One. I know uh, that Chappelle and I appreciate it, and I'm sure the listeners did too. But Chappelle, we have to talk about what's coming up next time on Nothing But Netflix. And as far as I understand, we do not have something locked in for next week. Well, no, we don't have anything locked and concrete, but we have a lot of suggestions that came through to the nothing but RHAP account on Twitter. Yes. And so, yeah, people, when we asked last time what we should talk about, uh, people delivered and they made sure that we knew that certain things were coming up. They weren't necessarily uh, popular maybe that week, but uh, Netflix had them, I guess, in the chamber uh, to be released at a later date. And so, um, Rob, have you, have you seen the... Um, <laughs> the previews for the show about the little kids running errands. Yes, people have been uh, t- talking about that. Yeah, I did. T- I definitely saw that from from Twitter. Now it's not a new show, right? It's a, is it a a Japanese show? Yeah, it's Japanese, from, but, but I- it's like a Japanese show from like 2013, correct? Oh, see, I don't know. I just know it's called Old Enough, and that it's like 
Like, I think the article someone sent us was, can toddlers cross the street along? Yes. And on, on reality TV in Japan, they can. And I'm just like, oh, okay. So, I mean, yeah. people are so clamoring this, for us it's to talk about one- it. It's one season, uh, and it is from uh, Japanese television from 2013. Okay. Yeah, it is It is old. Rob, why do you think it's getting so popular right now? I don't know. It is an old show, but it's really, um, it's an evergreen show because little kids, little Japanese kids trying to kind of walk to the shops and buy, you know, yeah. a kilo of rice. <laughs> with a little voiceover it's it's just it's hilarious the episodes the are very short no also the, the episodes are like uh seven minutes ten minutes Hmm. so do you think this is something we need to go ahead and cover the whole season of amy amy would you endorse this as something we should talk about on the podcast it is pretty funny and it is pretty cute um i certainly have heard people talking about it and I've watched a little bit of it and I thought it was, it's a really great little concept into that idea that somebody would send their kids out to do chores, quite complicated chores, sometimes with shopping lists and money and, you know, plucking things from, a, you know, a central market garden. Um, these teeny tiny little kids. It's a pretty cute little show. I would certainly be interested to hear you guys talk about okay. it. Um- it's interesting. I'm worried. Is there enough to podcast about there? Uh, like in terms of having a discussion, but uh, okay, let's, let's, let's put it in the maybe pile. Well, what else are we looking at Chappelle? Um, so that was one that was very popular. A couple people mentioned, uh, raising Dion is good. And season two came out last summer. Um, uh, metal Lords came up a couple times. I believe that's a movie. Um, it was that- a TV show. Oh, it is. I, I I thought it was a film uh, about like some kids. I don't know, um, but yeah, Metal Lords is, is out. So people mentioned that one too. A couple of me- people mentioned uh, Alice in Borderland because season two is coming up soon. We talked about the platform a little bit, which is about like a bunch of nasty eating. Um, in a sense. Oh I mean, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot was more that to on, that. that. I think we talked about that off the podcast. No, no, no. I, I mentioned it uh, on oh, Twitter okay. and then people were saying like, uh, you know, like maybe it wouldn't be the yeah. worst thing in the world if you check you that out. You and I talked about it off the podcast. Yeah, off the podcast. Yeah. We were like, I don't want to do it. We don't want to talk about that. But I, people were clamoring for it. And then there was another show. They said it was kind of older, but I think it was like Survivor, but you die if you lose. Was it Survivor? Circle? You die if you lose. I don't yeah. think that happens on the circle. <laughs> they they called it like it was something that people were like, "No, we really got to talk about this." I'm a, I'm gonna check the the mentions. Uh, you know, I think I, I think you're right. I, I think it might be called the circle, but I don't know. If it's, I'm, re- I'm really wrong, as you said. <laughs> it's not that circle. Yeah, yeah. Circle murder this person. Isn't that what you say? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's called message. Circle, right? yeah yeah not the circle but just circle yeah and yeah people say that it's like survivor-esque but when you get voted out you're dead and so they think that we would enjoy talking about that too i don't know Mm -hmm. what people think about us to think that that's something that we would like maybe are we that dark and morbid well we we do podcast about survivor we do but do we Mm -hmm. kill people you know do we do we like talk about death a lot so we don't there's a lot yeah, there's a lot also, out there, Rob. There's another, you know, one of the better episodes I thought we did was when we talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's a new movie called Choose or Die that's been. Uh, it, first off, Chappelle, let me tell you, this is a short ass movie, uh, one hour <laughs> and twenty five minutes, a Netflix original where a guy is uh, a, tempted by a chance to win an unclaimed prize money 
Two friends reboot a mysterious 1980s video game and step into a surreal world of next level terror. Like yeah, Jumanji I, with a video game. Yeah, any anytime we watch something and I know the podcast is going to be like almost three times as long as it, I'm like, let's do it. Uh, so uh, that sounds like a good idea. I wonder if the listeners, if any of the listeners have uh, checked it out and if they would endorse it as well, uh, because I didn't know about it, but you have my attention. It's short. It sounds ridiculous. And so I think we would yeah. have fun talking about it. Chappelle, would you be open to potentially then, like, if we came up with, like, the finalists letting the audience vote? I know that we've had problems with that in the past mm-hmm. on Renap, but if we uh, sort of just threw out the ideas with without guests attached on Twitter, do you like that uh, idea or no? Yeah, yeah, we could probably do that. Because, see, on Renap, they don't respect Akiva, and that's why they treat John that like that on Renap. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. For, but here on Nothing But Netflix, we are a very inclusive family. We all respect each other equally. And so I don't think they would stuff the ballots here. Um, so, yeah, Rob, we could do a poll. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Amy, would you have a vote for one of those? Yeah, I vote for the one with the little kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Japanese old enough show. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to put that on with my kids and see what they think. Yeah, I'm going to check it out too. Yeah, okay. Amy, where could people uh, keep up with everything that you're doing? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Survivor Tragic. Uh, not a lot going on for me in RHAP world at the moment, but I am working on a new book called Peg Leg Pedicure. So if you're a teacher or a parent, um, and you like children's picture books, that's a great one I've done with Eliza O'Connell, who is an Australian Paralympian. It's all about disability and inclusiveness and all that great stuff. So that should be out any day. You can probably pre-order it online now. Okay. Well, Amy, thank you so much for taking us through everything with Formula One, Drive to Survive. I, I really enjoyed getting to watch uh, the uh, first episode of the new season. No, thanks for having me. It was fun. I hope it all made sense. I did halfway through halfway through think this is very confusing. There's a lot to, to dissect. There's a lot. But even if you are not fully like understanding everything, uh the show looks and sounds amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's really fun. So yeah, people should definitely It's watch beautifully it. shot. It, I mean it, it really mm-hmm. is. And you know, if you, it's a show that you have like the sound up, uh like it really is uh like a v- very much uh, like an immersive show to get into. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's nice to see um just the little sound bites and the little behind the scenes you see of the um drivers kind of interacting with production as they're setting their mics up or sort of people talking to each other as they walk past each other to get to their different pit crews it's just um yeah it's quite nice to get that kind of access into a sport that i think otherwise most of us would not have any idea about all right and Chappelle, what's coming up for you uh rob i'm just hanging out you know still talking about the walking dead on um, post show recaps uh fear the walking dead just started and so uh, we should have an episode out very soon uh still talking about atlanta on post show recaps uh mari and myself we did an amazing episode last week about reparations and so if you want to get into some of that (laughs) you check that out because that is an interesting topic that we had a good time talking about um and then um i was recently on the survivor stock watch with taryn and the big brother um you know recap show for the veto on wednesday so you know, it's been a busy week for me, but you know where to find me. I'm on Twitter at Chappelle's underscore show, tweeting out all those links and just, um, you know, stirring up, stirring the pot here and there, keeping up shenanigans. You know how I yep. do. 
Uh, you nobody does it better. Thank you. <laughs> okay. All right. And thank you all for joining us here once again on Nothing But Netflix. Uh, looking forward to uh, watching some more shows and coming back and talking about them with you. Make sure you subscribe to our Netflix podcast feed. Go to robinswebs.com slash Netflix feed. And we'll be back next time. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.